0: Bismillah Rahman Rahim Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah wa kafawa salamun ala ibadi hiladin al-stafaad fa'udubilim in a shaitan al Rajim. Bismillah Rahman Rahim inna Laha wa ikatahu Yusall Luna al Nabe, Yayyu Aladina Amanu Salldu alihi wa Salim Utastima Reside Rusharif. Allahum Sali Alla Sayyidina Muhammad wa Alla Ali Sayyidina Muhammad Kama Salita Alla Ibrahim wa Ali Ibrahim in the Kahamidun Majin. Today's discussion is in regards to the current provocations at Masjid Al-Aqsa amid the genocide in Gaza. Now for those of you who are here for the first time, we have this gathering every week and we've been discussing many different topics and we've been speaking about Masjid Al-Aqsa every week for the last so many years so for those of you who are listening for the first time this might be a little bit beyond um, from I would say from a beginners perspective but still it's relevant because it's to do with Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa what is Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa? Now, this is not part of my talk, but because I see, mashallah, many, there's a Jamaat here as well from Minister, So I see, mashallah, many new faces as well. So just a couple of minutes on something linked to your Iman. You're doing the work of Iman, aren't you? Iman ki Iman o yaqeen. Alhamdulillah, I've spent time in Jamaat as well. So I'm familiar. Three days, forty days, four months also, Alhamdulillah. So, what is Al-Masjid al-Aqsa? Where do we learn the name Al-Masjid? Where does Al-Masjid aqsa come from? Where does it come from? Quran, Quran, and. Hazrat Maulana Elias Sabrul when he was asked regarding, "What do you want from this work of Dawat and Tabligh?" Sadly, we don't hear these things anymore. When when we were young, these discussions happened a lot regarding the sayings of Hazrat Maulana Elias Sabrul Hamdulillahi, Hazrat Maulana Yusuf Sabrul Hamdulillahi, Maulana Inamul Hasan Sabrul Hamdulillahi, Hazrat Maulana. Sayyid Ahmad Khan, Rahmatullah. these discussions would happen a lot and we'd understand through the Quran and sunnah, there was a lot of guidance. When he was asked on one occasion, what is it you want from this world? He said, I want Jami ma ja'a bihin nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to become alive. Everything that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came with to this world, through this effort, I want that to come alive. Through this effort, which means I want the masjids to get musallis, the madrasas to get students, the khankas to get muridin, and different places, the makatib to get students. This is what he said, this is what I want. I want that everything that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam came with, that becomes alive. One of the things Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam came with, and he worked for his entire lifetime, and more so towards the end of his life, a lot of his efforts were focused towards this was the concern for Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa, was the concern for Bayt Al-Maqdis. And Masjid Al-Aqsa is one of the greatest symbols of Allah on planet Earth. One of the things we learn in Dawat and Tabliq is the importance of the Masjid. How can it be that we are working in our own Masjid but one of the greatest masjids of Allah, one of the greatest masjids of Allah, which is mentioned in the Quran, is going through such difficult times and it doesn't affect us at all. We don't think about it, we don't talk about it because we don't even know about it. So one of our duties as being a Muslim is that we learn what is al-masjid al-aqsa because Allah mentions it in the Quran, Subhanallah, al asra asra bi'abdihi laylan min al-masjid al-haram Aqsa. So this Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa, what is Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa? Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa is one of the oldest masjids in the entire world. It came immediately after Al-Masjid Al-Haram. Look how in the Quran Allah places. When was Al-Masjid Al-Haram established? By who? Prophet Adam alayhi salam. And when was Masjid al-Aqsa established? 40 years after Masjid al-Haram, after the Kaaba. By who? Also Prophet Adam alayhi So your link and my link and the link of every Muslim with Masjid al-Aqsa goes all the way back to who? Prophet Adam alayhi salam. The first person, because we know that the purpose of being in the dunya is ibadah, is worship. And the first house for the worship of Allah is in أَوَّلَ وُضِعَ لِلنَّاسِ لَلَّذِي مُبَارَكًا للعالمين. And Allah wanted a second house to also be built. So 40 years after the first house, Sayyiduna Adam alayhi salam built, al, he placed the foundations of al-Masjid al-Aqsa. So this is our history with this masjid. And then this continued throughout the ages masjid al-aqsa has remained as masjid al-aqsa as a masjid from the time of adam alayhi salam all the way until now and it will remain a masjid until qiyamah and then we find that in the beginning when rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam receives wahi in the cave of hira then he received second wahi which was was a second wahi يَا أَيُّهَا الْمُدَّثِّرِ يَا أَيُّهَا يَا أَيُّهَا إِلَّا قَلِيلًا Stand and pray in the night. He's in Mecca and he's being told to stand and pray. And not only is he praying, Sahaba also praying. There was two times salah. Two times salah. Five times salah. We say, don't we, Iman and we say namaz. We say namaz became farz when in Meiraj. No, namaz did not become farz in Meiraj. We must correct this. Five times salah became farz in marriage five times salah before miraj there was namaz there was salah and the muslims would pray two times in the day two rak'at in the day two rak'at in the evening so throughout the whole 13 years in makkah al the prophet sallallahu and sahaba they prayed salah twice a day facing towards masjid al aqsa for 13 years and then they went and migrated to Medina munawwara and another 16 or 17 months. So all together, how long did they pray towards Masjid Al-Aqsa? 14 and a half years. How long was Nabuwa? 23 years. So did you know that the Prophet wasallam, your Nabi, prayed towards Masjid Al-Aqsa longer than he did towards the Kaaba? 14 and a half years he prayed towards Masjid Al-Aqsa. And then the Quranic ayat which were being revealed, you find... All of the Quranic stories, most of them, they are in relation to Baytul Maqdis, Masjidul Aqsa. Anyhow, time doesn't allow me to go into the details, but this is important for us as Muslims to develop a faith-based understanding of Masjidul Aqsa. Why? Masjidul Aqsa is part of your Iman. Masjidul Aqsa is part of your Aqeedah. Masjidul Aqsa is part of the Quran. If you are a Muslim, you are connected to Masjidul Aqsa. You cannot separate. You cannot separate. The Islamic status from Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. This is what's being done now. This is why many a times when the topic of Masjid Al-Aqsa comes, some people, we run away. If it's being discussed here, we run that way. It's being discussed there. In a Masjid, somebody, No, no, don't this. This is not a This is not siyasat. This is Quran. This is Hadith. This is Sunnah. This is your Iman. This is your Aqeedah. If you don't talk about this, there is danger of your Iman. How can you take away and minus? Uh, we don't like to talk about this topic. You don't like to talk about al masjid al-Aqsa. If we don't talk about it, if we don't and this is the most pressing issue right now. This is the most pressing issue right now. How? Tell me, how can a Muslim speak about something else in these days? How? If you're standing up and speaking to people. More than 25,000 people have been killed and they have given their lives and they're still giving. And you ask them, why are you doing it? They will tell you, because of Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa, not just because of some land or some property. Because of Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa, Fida'an Lil-Aqsa, you ask them, they will tell you. We are doing this, our son has gone, why? The mother will say, I'm happy, why? For the cause of Aqsa. My husband has gone, for the cause of Aqsa. That's what they're saying, listen to them. So, when they're doing this level of sacrifice, how can we ignore this and talk about other things and make no mention whatsoever? Not even dua, not even one statement, nothing, as if, as if nothing's happening. It's got nothing to do with me. No, no, no. When you go to Masjidul Aqsa, they will tell you, Welcome to your Masjid. This is your Masjid. We're Fighting over here, Hamari Masjid, Hamari our thing. This is our masjid, this is your masjid. You can't come here, they can't go here. When you go to Al Masjid Al Aqsa, everybody will say that to you, Welcome to your masjid, this is your masjid. And that's what it is. Every masjid belongs to Allah, it belongs to every believer, it belongs to you. So, that aside. Today's discussion in, in, in particular, and I would say like put your seatbelts on because we've got a long journey today. So this is a very important discussion. Over the last so many weeks we've been speaking specifically about Gaza and how to understand it, how to relate to it from the Quran, from the Sunnah, from the Seerah. And today's discussion is very different because we're going to speak about whilst that's happening over there, what's happening over here? And what has been happening and bringing it to the point that whatever is happening there is happening because of al-masjid Al aqsa and if we don't understand this we're not going to understand the core and the crux of the issue and undermining that we won't know what to do next that's why we keep asking oh tell us what to do tell us what to do what should we do if a person has the passion and affiliation and the connection to a cause Nobody needs to tell you, do this, do this. Nobody needs to tell you. The reason why we keep asking, tell us what to do now. What's the next thing? What should we do now? You only need to tell somebody who has no connection. It's like you're a robot. And then once, when you will do it, you'll think, oh, you feel good. Oh, I've done my bit. I went to one protest. Or oh, I sent an email to my MP. Or oh, I boycotted the Coke. We think that's it now. MashaAllah, JazakAllah, thank you. I shouldn't be saying thank you, actually. Why? Because you're not doing it for me. And this is not the end. This is good, but it's very little in comparison to what's required. So, let, let's, let's move on. We're going to speak about, first of all, pre-October. What's been happening before that? One of the worst years, or I rephrase myself, one of the harshest years on Masjid Al-Aqsa and Jerusalem was the year 2022. The harshest years on Jerusalem and Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. Why? Because this was the year when the Israeli settler movement, they planned to raid Masjid Al-Aqsa and carry out congregational prayer inside Masjid Al-Aqsa on a mass scale. So this is, they were planning, 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 and when it came to the year 22, they said, right, we're gonna try and go in thousand people, all go once inside Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. And collectively, we will all make Ibadat according to the Talmud, not Quran, Talmud. And we will do it loudly and collectively. And we saw this during Ramadan. Yeah, I'm sure everybody remembers last Ramadan, the Ramadan before, you saw exactly what has been happening. And you saw the attacks that happened at Damascus gate, also at Sheikh Jarrah. You must have heard the name Sheikh Jarrah repeatedly during those times because they wanted to evict some people from their houses. Again, these are settlers and these are neighborhoods which are very close to Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. One of the closest neighborhoods. On the north is Sheikh Jarrah, on the south is Silwan. Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood is small. So you evict them people, and what happens? They want to place settlers in there. and trying to carry out open prayer inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. One year before that, 2021, the day which is known as uh, Jerusalem Day, there was an incursion into Masjid Al-Aqsa. And something happened inside Masjid Al-Aqsa which has not happened since 1967. Since the Israeli occupation of Masjid Al-Aqsa, this has never happened. In 2021, for the first time, settlers went inside al Masjid Al-Aqsa and they were dancing. Dancing happened in your Masjid, rocks, dancing, whilst doing Talmudic worship inside Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. And there was no reaction from the Muslim world. Like, we don't even know about it, do we? Let alone reaction, let alone a reaction, we don't even, we're just hearing about it for the first time. Oh, really? Does that actually happen? This happens in your Masjid Al-Aqsa every single day two times. From 7.30 a.m. till 11.30 a.m. and 1.30 p.m. till 2.30, 3.30 p.m. Depending on the times of salah, summer, winter time. Twice a day, there are settler incursions inside Masjid Al-Aqsa, everything that happens in a synagogue is happening inside Masjid Al-Aqsa today, in your Masjid Al-Aqsa. So on this particular occasion, dancing takes place and there was no reaction. The occupation thought that because there was no reaction to this provocation, that's it. We've reached the stage where now we are comfortable carrying out this level of provocation inside al-Masjid al aqsa and nothing's going to happen. Then came the following year, May 2022. And the worst thing happened, I would say this was worse than the fire of 1969. We have spoke about this many times that in 1969, 21st August 1969, the Christian Zionist went inside Masjid Al-Aqsa, took some petrol, and he poured it over the member of Masjid Al-Aqsa, of Nuruddin Zinki Rahmatullah Ali, and he set it alight. That was very tragic. That was tragic. However, this was to do with a structure. And you can replace a structure, can't you? Yes, it was destroyed, and later on it was replaced. But what happened on May 2022 and continued happening until 6 of October everyone keeps saying 7th of October i'm talking may 2022 until 6 of October continuously what happened is that they tried to change the total reality and the identity of Masjid al-Aqsa and Jerusalem what is al-masjid al-aqsa we said al-masjid al-aqsa is a masjid from day one for muslims alone However, from that date onwards, we find that they tried to change the reality on the ground. How do we deal with Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa? What do we consider Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa? Because they assumed that what happened the year before, people didn't really react to it. The dancing that happened. So they thought, okay, we can go ahead with further. The situation in Masjid Al-Aqsa over this period of time from May 2022 until 6th of October, 2023 had become such that the guards of Masjid al-Aqsa were prohibited from being anywhere close to the settlers whilst they are inside al-Masjid al-Aqsa. Why are there guards inside al-Masjid al-Aqsa? One of the reasons why there are Muslim guards appointed from the Awqaf of Jordan inside al-Masjid al-Aqsa is to monitor what's happening inside al-Masjid al-Aqsa. One of their duties and roles is if any settlers come inside Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa and they carry out anything which they shouldn't be doing according to international law. According to international law, only Muslims are allowed to worship. If somebody else comes in and carries out worship the Al-Aqsa guards, they have a duty to report that, to record that, to speak to them and tell them or even tell the Israeli police that is with them, do something about it. The guards of Masjid Al-Aqsa were prohibited and banned from being anywhere close to the settlers whilst they are praying. Despite it being forbidden under Jewish law. And remember this, according to mainstream Jewish law, it is prohibited for any Jewish person to go inside Masjid Al-Aqsa, let alone pray let alone pray according to mainstream Jewish law. If you go to the chief rabbi now of Jerusalem and all of the mainstream rabbis and the general opinion is that it is forbidden for any Jewish person to even step foot inside. Why? Because they believe that they are impure. They believe they are impure until the purification ritual doesn't take place. No Jewish person is allowed to go inside. Even the status quo, the status quo, which we don't need to go by a status quo because Allah has given us the status of Masjid al-Aqsa being a masjid, like with any other masjid. We don't have people from other religions coming inside the masjid. But we live in the world and we deal with these things. So the status quo, we find that even after the the status quo has always been only Muslims are allowed inside Masjid al-Aqsa. Uh, to go inside and to pray inside and to worship inside. And anybody else wants to enter, they can enter with the permission of the Muslims. And that's what's been happening from the British occupation time, or even from the Ottoman time, and even during the British occupation as well, that non-Muslims would get a ticket, they want to come and visit, they would come and visit inside, have a look if they wanted to take some pictures, if they wanted to later on, and that's it. And then what happens is in 2015, there was uh, the Secretary of State of the United States, John Kerry, he came, he spoke with the King of Jordan and other representatives of Jordan. And this is called the, 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 the understandings that happened between the Kerry agreements. And as part of the Kerry agreements, he changed it slightly. He changed it slightly. And this, was, this is what opened the doors people thought that this is something very good but this will open the doors what he he changed the wording slightly and he said muslims can worship and jews can visit ziyarat." muslims muslims worship and jews can visit but not worship even in there was very clear not worship even netanyahu at that time he said very very clearly openly that we, we are bound by the status quo, we respect it. Jordan has the full custodianship of it and only Muslims will pray and worship and others will visit. Even he mentioned this at the time. So the original status quo was, the original status quo is these settlers are not even allowed to enter, let alone worship. This is what it was originally. They took it to the Supreme Court. Now, what they've been doing is for many, many years, they have many, many seats in the Israeli Knesset. Started off from a small number, and then increased. So there are many settlers in the actual Israeli Knesset, and they have a massive influence on the policies and the laws that are made and passed. Even though the rest of the people do not follow the same ideology, but they support it. So they tried in the Supreme Court that uh, even though there is, uh, in israeli law there is nothing stating this they uh, said they said that look what's wrong with silent talmudic prayer okay we're not allowed to worship what about silent talmudic stand and pray nobody will know israeli law doesn't ban this so they pushed this through the supreme court although I mean, it's Masjid al-Aqsa, how can the Supreme Court have a say in regards to what happens in Masjid al-Aqsa? But it's a very complicated reality that they have created uh, in regards to Jerusalem. Following this, from 2015 onwards, they termed... Now, how do you... You want to take control of something, what do you do? You start uh, giving uh, a bad reputation to people that are there, like they did with Gaza they said these are children of darkness. And they started making all of these stories up, that they raped people and they beheaded babies. And that's why people would think, okay, there's nothing wrong with killing such people because they are horrible animals. So what they started doing is anybody who was regular in Masjidul aqsa they started saying, oh, they are part of a movement. And they said, these are a part of a movement, the the harakah of the murabiteen. A murabit is just a person who goes regularly to the masjid. And there were some people who were regularly going to Masjid Al-Aqsa. So they started branding these people as being hardline. Let's put a ban on these people. Any men, any women that are going... Re- because they know that if the settlers were to go in and carry out any kind of worship, because these people will be present, they will kick up a fuss. And, or rightly so. If somebody comes in here from another religion and starts worshipping, right, the people, who, the people like, you know, who don't normally come to the Masjid, they're going to be sitting at home. But the people who are here regulars they're gonna kick up a fuss aren't they like what are you doing why are you doing this you shouldn't be praying here you can look around you can visit no problem but you cannot do your prayer here so they started attacking these people and saying that these people are a problem and not only them the second people targeted were the gods of masjid al aqsa so the gods of masjid aqsa from 2015 up until recently They have been under the radar. They've been attacking them, not being allowed to do their work. And then the occupation overlooked the courts and began supporting and facilitating. Even though the court, we find what the status quo is. The occupation, they ignored that. And any settlers going inside Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa carrying out Talmudic rituals, they were supporting that um, without saying anything. In the beginning, it started off with silent prayer. So they would go inside Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa and stand in an area and they would stand there silently. They're praying. You can tell they're praying, but it's silent. And then it started happening aloud. Then it started happening aloud. And then it started happening with actions and movements as well. Movements, actions, before anything of this would happen, people would raise eyebrows. This is what is going on. It's not allowed, it's prohibited. According to their law, it's prohibited. But slowly, slowly from silent prayer to audible prayer, from audible prayer to actions and movements. In the past, those of you who follow it, you will know. In the past, if any settler was to come inside al-Masjid al-Aqsa, they do something called uh, a sujud al-Malhami. It's called the epic prostration. Do you know how we do sajda? Like we do sajda in a certain way they do sajda flat on the ground. They fall flat on the ground, face on the ground, and the whole body flat on the ground. And many a times they would come inside and some of them would fall flat on the ground. And they're doing sajda. They're not just praying like a dua or just rocking a little bit. Full on, it's called the epic prostration. So I've seen this many times before where the Israeli police would go up to them and they would pick them up and they would take them out of Masjid Al-Aqsa saying you know it's not allowed to do this in here let's go and they would take them out and this is what would happen today now now people are doing this if they somebody falls into the epic prostration inside Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa the police will turn that way knowing what's happening but will ignore it there's no guards there so they can't record it they have to stay 50 meters away and this is being done continuously on a daily basis. Now we're finding not only sajda, Talmudic lectures, Talmudic prayers, and Talmudic teaching, Talmudic courses, Talmudic marriages, Talmudic ritual marriages. I, I show you something. This is from today. This is from today, just to give you an idea. Some of you may have never experienced anything like this and you might be thinking, what is he talking about? Let me show you something from today. I don't want to show this in the Masjid, but to make you understand, this is today, inside, inside Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa, a Talmudic wedding is taking place, marriage blessing ceremony, where one of the most staunch settler rabbis, Yehuda Glick, is taking a couple around and singing a song to bless the marriage, inside Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa, today, today. I'm not talking about something that happened 10 years ago. Today, this morning. Can you hear it? Okay, I don't want to play this. But to give you an idea, the couple are walking. They're walking around inside Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. And he's leading them as the rabbi. And in Al Masjid al Aqsa and this it's quite long. No one's to stop them, no one to say anything. Had I not shown you, you wouldn't even know about it. And we are silent. We are it doesn't nothing, nothing at all. This is this is where we have got to. This is where we are at the moment in regards to Al Masjid Al Aqsa. Now September twenty twenty three. That's just a month before October. You had the Rosh Hanash, which is the New Year. During the New Year, one of the things that were done this year inside Al Masjid Al-Aqsa was the blowing of the shofar. You know what the shofar is? It's the horn. And they blow this at the time of the New Year. It's a, it's, it's a Talmudic celebration. Not an Islamic celebration. We don't have this. Inside al Masjid Al-Aqsa to celebrate the Rosh Hanash, they are blowing the shofar horn. And remember, this was for the third consecutive year. Third consecutive year. Now, how do we know about this, this year? How do we know about it happened this year so clearly and with so much confidence? It's been happening for three years. In 2021 and 2022, it was also done. However, it was done without any announcement. There's no pictures, there's no videos. Do you know why? Because the Israeli occupation told the settlers not to take any pictures, not to take any videos, don't make it viral, don't spread it, don't tell anybody that you did it. How did we know? Because the guards in Masjid Al-Aqsa who were at a distance, they heard it. And that's how we know. However, what's different this year, is this year they did it, they recorded it, and they made it viral. This is the provocation, this is what we need to understand that this is an escalation. Two years ago, they were hiding it because they thought there's going to be a Muslim reaction. This year, it was done openly. It's become mainstream. Mainstream, it was spread that we blow the shofar horn, And this was done for the first time when in 1967, when Moshe Dayan came with the Israeli tank through Babul al-Asbad into Masjid al-Aqsa and they blow the shofar horn, and they said that the Temple Mount is now in our hands. We are in control of Masjid al aqsa And I repeat this because this is a question many people ask. They ask, is there any hadith, just today as I was driving here, one scholar rang me and asked me this question again. Is there any hadith that tells us that Masjid al aqsa will be demolished or taken over? Is there any hadith? And the answer to that is, that that question isn't correct. That's not the right question. For your answer, no, there is no hadith that says that. However, Masjidul Aqsa becoming demolished or anything, that's a secondary thing. In June 1967, something worse than that happened already. Masjidul Aqsa was under occupation. And since then, it's been under Israeli control. It was taken out of Muslim control. And it's like that today as well. Not just because of what's happened now, since 1967. So we should be restless for the cause of Masjid Al-Aqsa. If you were born after 1967, then every day of your life. Because Masjid Al-Aqsa is not in Muslim control. Since then. It's like when you tell them that there's nothing mentioned in Hadith, they, they think, oh, that's okay then. No, it's not okay. What you're saying has already happened. And it's much worse. So... The blowing of the Shofahoon inside al-Masjid al-Aqsa this year being done so openly and brazenly, from them is like an open declaration that we are now taking over the Islamic identity of Masjid al-Aqsa. Masjid al-Aqsa no longer has an Islamic identity, rather from now onwards we will deal with Masjid al-Aqsa as a synagogue. That's what's happening. That is what's happening. And at the best of times, at the best when things are when things are okay, meaning when there's stability in that region, at the best of times, Masjid al-Aqsa will be dealt as a shared place of holiness between Muslims and the settlers. I won't say Jews because most Jews don't enter into Masjid al-Aqsa. Rather, most Jews are against what the settlers are doing. It's the settlers. So, at the best of times, they want to deal with Masjid Al-Aqsa as a shared space between Muslims and the settlers. And this is what is happening, this is what's been happening up until recently. What about at the worst of times, like now? At the worst of times, We see that they want to deal with Masjid Al-Aqsa, considering it to be a synagogue, not shared. Meaning, settlers will have priority. They can go in and come out whenever they want. Muslims, we will control who goes in, when they go in, who doesn't go in. And that's what we're seeing now, because they're saying this is the time of war. Therefore, not anybody can go in. Prior to the 7th of October, the Israeli occupation were dealing with Masjid al-Aqsa as a shared holy site. Shared holy site. And therefore, uh, Muslims were accessing from... So Masjid al-Aqsa opens about an hour before Fajr, and it closes an hour after Isha. Again, this from the occupation. Muslims don't want to close it. The Haram in Mecca doesn't close. Right? Masjid al-Haram. But Masjid al-Aqsa, because it's not in Muslim hands, Muslims don't control... What time to open it? What time to close it? That's not the decision of the Muslims. The Israeli occupation control it. This is why it opens about an hour before Fajr and closes an hour after Isha. So, if a Muslim wanted to go to Al Masjid al Aqsa before the 7th of October, they could go from an hour before Fajr, any time, and they could stay in there until an hour after Isha. Uh, Unless something was happening. But overall, you could go in, you could pray. Because during that time, because things were okay, supposedly, they were dealing with Masjid al-Aqsa as a shared space. A shared space. Since the 7th of October, they have now changed this. because Because this is now the worst of times. They're saying it's a war, a time of war. Now they're dealing with Masjid al-Aqsa as a synagogue. How? Now the settlers can go in freely, men, women, children, whatever age, but Muslims can't go. Muslims can't go openly, and they have uh, applied restrictions. I'm talking about to the local people. Now the only ritual which hasn't been carried out. Talmudic rituals are being carried out. The only ritual that has not been carried out inside Al Masjid Al Aqsa is the, the, the animal sacrifice. The animal sacrifice, uh, which is done at the time of Passover. And other sacrifices and offerings, for example, they have at the time of Sukut, is the, the plants and the, the, the citrus fruit. And the pieces of barley, I mean, this is what happened, isn't it? From the 1st till the 6th of October, five thousand, five thousand settlers went inside al-Masjid al-Aqsa. 5,000. And they were carrying all of these ritualistic things, sacrificing these plants and these fruits and whatever they use for their rituals. They're supposed to be done in, in a synagogue, not in a masjid. So these things have been done the only thing left is the sacrificing of the animal that hasn't happened yet inside al-masjid al-aqsa everything else is happening openly now two months prior to october so what month is that august two months prior to august something happened which has not happened before some youngsters were going to masjid al-aqsa palestinian youngsters and they were entering Masjid Al-Aqsa in the early morning. So around 10 o'clock in the morning. When they arrived there, the Israeli police and guards who stand at the gates of Masjid Al-Aqsa, they prevented them from entering. They said, we want to go in, inside our masjid. They go, you can't come in. They said, why? Said, it's not time for salah. Come back at dhuhr time. It's not salah time. If you want to come inside here, you can come at your prayer time. Meaning, we will allow you to enter at your prayer time. But other than that, this time is not for you. Who is it for? This is a settler time, 7.30 to 11.30. So this is the Israeli occupation's plan of what we call a taqseem Al-Zamani. A taqseem Zamani means to divide Masjid Al-Aqsa by time. Certain times for Muslims, certain times for settlers. Before many, many years ago, this was just an idea. Then it became a discussion. Now we are seeing the full implementation of this inside Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. And two months prior to October, this already happened to such an extent that Muslims were being told that you don't need to come in here now. This is not salah time. Come at salah time. So who's in there? Settlers can go in. But Muslims cannot. So this is Taqseem Zamani in full implementation. So what does it mean? Let me just briefly give you an overview of what this means of Taqseem Zamani and Taqseem Makani. There are two schemes that the Israeli occupation have in regards to your Masjid Al-Aqsa. At-Taqseem Zamani, a taqsim Makani. At-Taksim-Zamani means to divide Masjid al-Aqsa by time, certain times for Muslims only, certain times for settlers only. And Taksim-Makani is certain areas and spaces in Masjid al-Aqsa only for Muslims, and certain spaces and areas in Masjid al-Aqsa only for the settlers. So, the occupation have been following this strategy until today. Masjid al-Aqsa. Divided for time, by time we see this already. So, for example, Juma, Juma is for Muslims. Eid al Adha, Eid al Fitr is for Muslims. Maulid Nabawi is for Muslims. miraj is for Muslims. These are the Muslim kind of significant days that we have. So, the idea is that we will give them these days. We will give them these days. We will honor these days. We won't go inside on these days. Other than that, when it comes to our days, the settlers, they say they will go in and they have many festivals, many celebrations. And each one lasts almost a week long. We have one day, Eid is one day. When their festival comes, it's a whole week. So the whole week they will go inside Masjid Al-Aqsa and carry out these rituals. And the liquid party, which is the ruling party right now as well, they actually pushed this through the Knesset. Knesset is the Israeli parliament. They pushed this through the Knesset to pass this as a law. Now in 1967, Jerusalem as we know, came under occupation. Um, a Few years ago, Eid al-Adha. Now what happens, now let me ask you a question. Up until now, it's, we're kind of seeing, okay, some days for you, some days for us. Okay, what if an Islamic festival coincides with one of the festivals of the settlers? What will happen then? And this will give you an idea of how they deal with Masjid al-Aqsa. Do they deal with it as a masjid or do they deal with it as a synagogue? A couple of years ago, Eid al-Abha coincided with one of the settler festivals called Zikru Kharabil the commemoration of the destruction of the temple. This is what they call it. Zikru Kharabil Ma'bad coincided with Eid al Adha. Now, Eid al Adha, since 1967, there's been no incursions on Eid al Adha. It's a day of the Muslims. Eid Salah takes place and Bibi Netanyahu makes an announcement. And he says, because the settlers were saying that no matter what happens, we're going to go inside, we're going to go in large numbers, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. He comes out and he makes an announcement saying, we will not be allowing any settlers to come inside Masjid al-Aqsa on the day of Eid al-Adha. Eid al-Adha is for the Muslims, they will pray in peace, we'll not allow any settlers to come in. So when they heard this announcement, Eid salah happened, after Eid everybody goes to see their families, to their relatives, And only when there was remaining 1,000 Muslims inside Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa, they opened the gates and allowed the settlers to come in under the Israeli military. Of course, with the permission and instruction of Benjamin Netanyahu. He says in the morning that nobody will go in. But by afternoon, seeing the Muslim, Muslims thought, okay. We can go, we don't need to stay here to protect the masjid. We can go and celebrate and enjoy our day of Eid. And this day was a very tough day on the Muslims because there were many clashes that took place because of the settlers carrying out an incursion on Eid al-Adha inside al-Masjid al-Aqsan. This was only a couple of years ago. So this was something very serious. This shows that when a clash happens, I'll give you another example, COVID. When COVID happened, uh, one of the first places to implement the restrictions was over there. And they were one of the first to lift the restrictions as well. Now, most places restrictions were lifted. In the schools, in the colleges, in the shops, shopping centers, in the, uh, in, in the other places of prayer. Everywhere the restrictions were lifted. Except for Masjid al-Aqsa. So when the time came to discuss the opening of, reopening of Masjid al-Aqsa, the awqaf got together and they said, okay, the best time to do it will be Jum'ah. Because this is our holy day. We will open on the day of Jum'ah. Because it's a masjid. But what happened? What happened? The settler movement kicked up of us. And they said, why should it open on the day of Jum'ah? Because on the day of Juma they can't go in. Can they go in on a Saturday? No. When's the next day you can, they can go in? Sunday. So they pushed and pushed that Masjid al-Aqsa should not open on a Friday. It should open on a Sunday so that we can carry out the first incursion into Masjid al-Aqsa. And guess what? That is exactly what happened. That is exactly what happened. We're just going 2022, I think, isn't it? Or 21. When it opened again. And that's exactly what happened. Masjid al-Aqsa did not open on that Jummah when it was decided. Everything else is open. And this is showing you how they are dealing with Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. So this is at taqsim Zamani, dividing Masjid Al-Aqsa by time. The second one is called at taqsim Al-Makani, dividing Masjid Al-Aqsa by space. And it was very close to happening. In the year 2019, it was very, very close to happening. The Israeli occupation... They have had their eyes on a place inside Al Masjid al-Aqsa called the Musalla Bab ar rahma Those of you who have been to Masjid al-Aqsa, maybe you know this area. It's on the eastern side of Masjid al-Aqsa. There is an old Musalla there, and they have been preventing Muslims from accessing these areas. And the Musalla has been closed for 16 years. It was closed. And in February 2019, I remember this because we were there at the time. They changed the locks on the gates of Musalla Babur Rahma. And there was great fear that Taqseem Al Makani is going to take place. That they're going to have dedicated areas inside Al Masjid Al Aqsa where here they will build a synagogue where the settlers will come and they will pray and Muslims will not be allowed to access this area. It was the Muslims of Palestine who went there in large numbers. They prayed there. They continued praying there. They continued going there until we witnessed the reopening of Musalla Babur Rahmah after 16 years. And it was like the day of Eid. People were celebrating, people were rejoicing, because they knew that had they not done this, this place would have become a synagogue inside Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa, and we would have seen the implementation of something called al Taqsim Al-Makani, dividing Masjid Al-Aqsa by space, having Muslim-only areas and secular-only areas now, why, why, this is not some kind of uh, fairy tale. We're not just making these things up. In 1994, in Hebron, in Masjid al-Ibrahimi, the masjid where Ibrahim alayhi salam, his wife Sara, and Ibrahim alayhi, alayhi salam's son is Ishaq alayhi salam, and his wife Rifqa, and his son Yaqub alayhi salam, and his wife Layya. And their son, Yusuf seven great personalities are buried under this one masjid in a cave. On top is called Al-Masjid Al-Ibrahimi in Hebron, in Al-Khalil. In 1994, there was a man by the name of uh, Baruch Goldstein. He came with a machine gun. It was Ramadan, Fajr Salah. He came with a machine gun inside Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa and he started shooting. 32 people became shaheed. 32 people became shaheed. And as a result of him carrying out this massacre inside Masjid al-Ibrahimi, the occupation at the time, instead of uh, dealing with him and the likes of him, instead they divided, they decided to divide Masjid al-Ibrahimi, a Taqsim al-Makani. They took 60% of Masjid Al-Ibrahimi and converted it into a synagogue and left only 40% for the Muslims. And this remained the case. Only, now when we're saying Taqsim Zamani, what did we say Taksim Zamani is? Dividing by time. What are the Muslim holy times? So Juma comes every week, so forget Juma. Eid Al-Adha is one day. Eid Al-Fitr is one day. And then, Mawlid al-Nabawi is one day, and Isra al Miraj. How many holidays does Muslims have? Muslims don't have many holidays in that sense. So they thought, you know what? We'll let them have the whole area on these few occasions. Eid al-Adha, Eid al-Fitr, Miraj, and Mawlid. These days, they open the whole masjid. Now the 40% is a masjid. The 60% is a synagogue. So Even when the Muslims access it, what, they're seeing scrolls, they're seeing chairs, they're seeing all Talmudic things in there. They can't remove any of that. And this remains so until the year 2009. In 2009, the Israeli Supreme Court officially, officially announced that Masjid Al-Ibrahimi falls under Jewish heritage And this place is now officially recognized as a synagogue, not a masjid. Not a masjid. One of the holiest places in Palestine is the Masjid Ibrahimi. However, officially, it is not recognized as a masjid. This is why, this is why they now feel, because this is a synagogue, we are allowing you to pray. If we say, no prayer today, no prayer today. This is why in Masjid Al Ibrahimi, the Mu'addin can't just go and give the Adhan. Do you know why? Because the Adhan microphone is on the synagogue side. So the Mu'addin for every single salah has to go into a corner and has to knock on the door. On the other side, there's an Israeli soldier standing. If he opens, then Mu'addin will say, can I give the Adhan? He says, I have to get permission. He will call the officer. Say, can the Muaddin give the Adhan today in Masjid al-Ibrahimi? If he says yes, then the Adhan will be given. If they say no, no Adhan will happen. Oh, by the way, on Saturdays, no Adhan is allowed for any of the Salah. And Maghrib Adhan is not allowed anyway. And in 2015, 2015, throughout the whole year, Adhan was only called out on 120 days. From 365 days, how many days? 120. Meaning, most of the year in one of the most holiest masjids in the world, I will say. We have Masjidul Haram, then we have Masjidul Nabawi, then we have Masjidul Aqsa, then we have maybe Masjid Quba. If there's any other masjid after this, you know i mean i'm not in a position to say that this masjid or that masjid but because we have the great personalities of sayyiduna ibrahim alayhi salam, sayyiduna ishaq alayhi salam sayyiduna yaqub alayhi salam, sayyiduna yusuf alayhi salam. so 120 days only adhan was called out now why is this concerning why is this concerning? This is what they are planning regarding Masjid Al-Aqsa. This, this has happened already in Hebron. taksim Zamani on full scale, and taksim Makani on full scale. So much so that they have managed to convince and have it officially changed into a synagogue. If we remain silent, if we remain inactive, if we remain indifferent like we have until now, until now we haven't said anything, we don't even make dua. Some of us say, oh, bas kya kar sakte? Kar sakte. We don't even make dua. Even the dua, but by the way, that's, that's what munafiqeen say. Munafiqeen talk like this. In the Quran, you will find the attitude of the munafiqeen was like this oh, bas kar sakte. This is helplessness. You're trying to say that we can't do anything. No, we can do so many things. Do not kill off the hope. The Muslim Ummah is strong. There is a lot of khair in the Ummah. There's a lot of goodness in the Ummah. Don't underestimate your power. This is what this is what the forces of Batil have always done: made you feel weak, made you feel helpless, made you feel powerless, or oh, you can't do anything. You're just few. You don't have the no 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 no. You have the strength, you have the power, you have the himma. You can, you can and you are. Look what Muslims are doing and it's having an impact, alhamdulillah. Muslims can, Muslims will. We continue our rectification, we continue working. However, that, you know, we can't have this attitude that... When everybody's Islam is done, then they, that's, not, that's not how it works. Salahuddin Ayyubi Rahmatullah didn't work like that. At the time of Salahuddin Ayyubi Rahmatullah. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted him the victory, at that time, are you you telling me that all the Muslims of all of the world, you know, they were all rectified and they were all spending three days. (laughs) No, that doesn't happen like that. We try, we make an effort. Allah has a certain number. Allah has a certain number. And when Allah's help wants to come, Allah's help will come. We continue working. We continue working. But we shouldn't have this attitude, oh, what's the point anyway? It's not going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. No, our responsibility is to make the effort. If we remain silent, if we remain inactive, if we remain indifferent, then the sad reality is that taqseem zamani has already happened in Masjid al-Aqsa. Let it not be that taqseem al-makani also happens as well. And that would be very worrying. But the sad thing is, I'm thinking now that People are not really showing any concern about Taqseem al Zamani that's happened. If they were to announce Taqseem al Makani, meaning dividing Masjid al Aqsa by space, would we have any, would anyone say anything? Would anyone, would it change us? Would it change our life in any way, shape, or form? Or would we just carry on as normal? Would it have any impact? Would, it, would we do anything? Would we feel anything? Let alone do anything? Maybe it's limited what you can do, but you can feel, you can pray, you can raise awareness. There, there's a lot of things you can do if you want to do it. But first, we have to know about the cause. This, this is an obligation. I started off with this. Al al Aqsa is not a voluntary topic. This is not some kind of voluntary work that you do on the side. This is a fard. This is the fard of the time. There's an obligation on every Muslim. Because it's part of your Quran, your Masjidul Aqsa. This is what's happening. Don't you think Allah is going to ask us in regards to this? Alhamdulillah, Masjidul Haram is in a good state. There are so many people going; people are not finding space. Masjidul Nabawi, masha Allah, it's full. People are trying to book on the on the app and not getting a chance to go in. They're trying to book. They're trying to find for a booking on the Nusuk app, but no. But Al Masjidul Aqsa, it's crying. It's in a very sad, pitiful state. So much so that it's being divided. So this is a time for us to really ponder and think. Now, the difference between... Now, why am I going on about this? The difference between Masjid al-Ibrahimi and Masjid al-Aqsa. In Masjid al-Ibrahimi, things happen, but they happen slowly. In Masjid al-Aqsa, things move really fast. So in Masjid al-Ibrahimi, you saw 1967 and then 1994, and then 2009. You saw it happen gradually. But it happened, didn't it? In Masjid al-Aqsa, things change within months. You saw already what's happened. I've given you some dates. Just We've just gone two years back. And how things have moved. So Masjid al-Aqsa, things move very fast. And because they have already achieved this, there, this is, we can see it. Those people who know about what's happening on the ground, you can see the same strategy, of dividing the masjid by time and space, is being implemented here. Now, a very strange thing happened immediately after the 7th of October. And that is, people started sharing pictures online of the Dome of the Rock. And they started saying that this is not Masjid al-Aqsa. And then they started sharing the picture of the, the... Masjid or Musalla shall we call it, the Musalla with the green or grey or black dome and saying this is Masjid Al-Aqsa. Have you you come across this? So this was being done on a large scale. People from all over the world. Because people were from then onwards, the whole world has been active on social media and everywhere else in regards to Masjid Al-Aqsa. So now everybody is now, so many people are commenting from all over the world saying the dome of the rock is not masjid al aqsa and they point to the other building and saying that is masjid al aqsa now did you know that this is actually the israeli occupation's definition of masjid al aqsa this is whose, whose definition is this the israeli occupation's definition of masjid al aqsa that the dome of the rock isn't masjid aqsa and Musalla qibli is Masjidul Aqsa. The one with the golden dome isn't Masjidul Aqsa, and the one with the green, grey, or black dome—that is Masjid. Whose definition is this? This is the definition of the Israeli occupation. Anyone who says this from now, anybody who says this, because now, Alhamdulillah, I believe, I believe now, we've had a good amount of time of clarification we should know by now what is masjid al-Aqsa. what is masjid al aqsa tell me what is masjid aqsa define it for me you're a muslim you read the quran this is part of your iman and aqeedah one of the holiest places in your deen and in your iman al-masjid al aqsa define it for me that's it i'm not asking you anymore just tell me what is it Okay, 144,000 square meters of land. And this is probably one of the best things that the Jordanian government has done in the last 10 years of making this official. 144,000 square meters of land. When you see the whole walled area, okay, al Islam ibn Taymiyyah said, everything inside the wall is Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. The Dome of the Rock is in the center of Masjid Al-Aqsa, a very important part. Just like the Kaaba is part of Masjid Al-Haram. The Green Dome is part of Masjid Al-Nabawi. The Dome of the Rock is an important part of Masjid Al-Aqsa. It's at the center of Masjid Al-Aqsa. Anywhere you pray in this area, you will be considered praying inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. Restricting Masjid Al-Aqsa to the Musalla Qibli, this is the Israeli occupation's definition of Masjid al-Aqsa, not Muslims, not, not from the Quran. This is not the Quranic definition. The Israeli foreign affairs website, if you were to go on it, it has its stance very clearly mentioned on there. They have different uh, definitions. What is the Israeli occupation stance, Israeli government stance on different topics? If you click on Temple Mount. It will open up a page for you and on there it will say to you that Temple Mount is a large area which has many landmarks. Of the many landmarks one of them is Masjid Al-Aqsa which is a small building on the southern end of the Temple Mount area. This matches exactly what so many Muslims are saying today. So very important Anybody who says from today onwards, anybody who says that Masjid Al-Aqsa is the building with the green-gray dome, I'm going to put an exclamation mark on them, or I'm going to put a question mark on them. I'm going to ask them a question. Are you working with the Israeli government? this This is problematic. Anybody who says this, this is how we should deal with them now. Because this is their definition, not the Quranic definition. As a Muslim, we must know the Quranic definition, not go by their definition. Anybody who promotes this idea, this is going to create shak now, on a question mark, are you working with them? Why are you promoting their idea of what Masjid al-Aqsa is? So this is the first thing. The other thing is, Muslims did not take Masjid al-Aqsa from anybody. When Sayyidina Umar radiAllahu anhu came and arrived, Masjid al-Aqsa wasn't part of the city of Jerusalem. It was outside the city. It was an empty land. Nobody, the Christians did not build anything on there. For them, it was not of significance whatsoever. Rather, it wasn't even part of the city. The land of Masjid al-Aqsa was out of the city. So when Umar came, he did not take anybody's land. It wasn't anybody's. So that's the first thing, that it wasn't taken from anybody. Also, when the crusaders came, uh, they did not convert the whole of Masjid al-Aqsa into something holy. They had certain areas where they made chapels, residences, stables. But the whole of, they didn't have a, a name for the whole of the area and signifying it as a holy place for Christians. No, they had their own holy places. So Muslims did not take it from anybody. During the fourth year of Nubu'ah, when we hear the Quranic story, Alif Lam Mim Ghulibatir Rum, the two superpowers, the Roman superpower, the Persian superpower. And the Romans were defeated. When the Persians came to Jerusalem, Historically, it's documented by all historians that many Jews also came to Jerusalem with the Persians. And there is no mention, if you will open the books of history, that during this period, the Jewish people that came with the Persians, they did not build anything inside Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. They did not consider it to be anything special or holy. You will not find anything whatsoever. Whereas they had the free will. They could have done it whilst they were there. But they didn't. And they did not claim but it is an area. Rather, like I mentioned earlier, according to Jewish law, Jewish law, you know all of this problem that we're facing now, like what's happening in Gaza now, do you know why it's happening? And if you've been following over the years, you'll see this only happens when there's provocation inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. Who carries out the provocations? The settlers. So that's not even really the Jewish majority people. It's a fringe movement. A right-wing extremist movement. So according to Jewish law, it's prohibited to go until they carry out the ritual of purification. They all have this view except for, we can call them the fanatics. How many of them are there, do you know, all together. How many of them are there? Maximum two to three thousand. A lot of them are from the West Bank. Maximum. From, I don't know how many million Jewish people there are there, from them, only two to 3,000 people are fanatics who are the cause of all of this, who are causing provocations, going in. And, and sadly, of course, the government is supporting and everybody else is supporting. They won't go in themselves. Within the government, you probably hear right now two names, apart from Netanyahu, which you know these are the most problematic people in the Israeli government. One is Ben Gavir. Ben Gavir is probably the most hardline person the government has seen. He actually has a portrait of Baruch Goldstein, the guy who committed the murder of the 32 people in the Ibrahimi Masjid massacre. He actually has his portrait hung in his house, and he considers him his hero. Uh, he's from the West Bank, from Kiryat Arba, and he goes inside Masjid Al-Aqsa we know about him already but the other hardline person in the government now is a finance minister what's his name Smotrich, Smotrich, rich something like that he won't go inside masjid al-aqsa hardline totally anti-muslim hates the muslims he's you can see from the rhetoric he doesn't want the war to end But one thing he will not do, he will not go inside Masjid, he will support the people that are going. He himself will not go because he follows the mainstream Jewish opinion that Jewish people cannot go inside Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa until they carry out the purification ritual. What is that? It's about the red Haifa. When miraculously, in that land, a red Haifa is born with certain qualities that doesn't have any defect, it's red Then it will live for a certain amount of time. Then you sacrifice it, and then you burn it, and then the ashes are taken and sprinkled upon, and this is how you become pure. And then you can go inside. Now, a couple of years ago in Texas, I think they tried to, uh, what's it called? Um, uh, What word am I looking for? Yes, genetically, they tried to create these hyphers. But, of course, I mean, if you want to break the laws and bend the rules, you can't do that. And this is what this these fanatics are doing they're trying to so the, you've got different groups within them Ma- majority of the rabbis they believe that the so-called alleged temple will come from the heavens like we, no one can knock it down and build it it will come from the heavens and some of them believe that uh, it will happen when the messiah arrives and he will do it but what these guys are trying to do Is they're trying to like force God to make it happen right now by going in, and the others are saying like that's prohibited. There's a massive sign right by the Moroccan Gate from where they come in, and it says there that it's prohibited for any Jewish person to set foot on Temple Mount. And this is it's it's got the name of the chief rabbi of Jerusalem on there. Um, So this is the ritual that they believe uh, that will cause uh, them to become purified. Also, Muslims historically have never have had an issue with the presence of Jewish and Christian people in Jerusalem, historically. That's never been an issue. They have an issue, Muslims have never had an issue. They have lived side yeah, as long as you don't come in the way of our worship, you don't violate our holy places, and throughout Islamic period where you look that it was maintained, it was respected, then people lived in peace. Now, we want to understand now the idea of the so-called alleged temple what where does that come from so i'm just going to give you some insight into that and, and why why what's happening at masjid al aqsa which is leading to what's happening in Gaza, and why it's happening the idea of the alleged temple comes from something we call the ahad kalimatul ahad the kalimatul ahad meaning the covenant took place, they believe, between Allah and Prophet Ibrahim salam. So Allah took an oath, a covenant, from Ibrahim salam, by in words, Kalimatul Ahad. And then Allah told him to fulfill this Ahad, this covenant. So they believe that the place where the fulfillment of the covenant took place was the rock beneath the dome of the rock. What was the fulfillment the sacrificing of who who we say ismail who did they say so they believe this this is i'm giving you a full overview of the idea of the alleged temple and where it comes from so they believe that ibrahim was given a covenant by allah to fulfill that covenant practically they believe he came to jerusalem and took his son ishaq alayhi salam placed him on the rock and they believe this is the place where the covenant was fulfilled practically one was by word one was by action qawl and Fa'al. right kalimatul ahad this is the fa'lul ahad and now they believe that's why they call the dome the rock they call it qudsul aqdas the holy of the holies they believe this is the most holiest place why because the kalima of allah allah's word combined with the the fulfillment of Allah's covenant. So the Allah's covenant in word combined with Allah's covenant in action comes together over here. And one of the beliefs that they have which is very different to us is they believe in the tajzeem of Allah in giving Allah bodily parts and specifying Allah to certain locations. They believe this is so now because Allah's word and Allah's covenant has come together in the form of these two things Musa salam was given Torah. They believe that the only scripture that came from Allah to planet earth was the Torah. They don't believe in the Quran. They don't believe in the Injil. And of course Zabur they say these were just Mazamir. These were just hymns. This is not from, they don't believe it's from Allah. So the only word that came from Allah was the Torah. So you've got the Ahad of Ibrahim alayhi salam, the covenant. And now you've got the written covenant of Allah, which is the Torah. And Musa alayhi salam is in Egypt, and from there he's being told to come all the way to Baytul Makhdis. And eventually this covenant reaches this place. So now you've got the covenant of Ibrahim alayhi in word and in action, and then you've got the covenant of Allah in written form, which is the Torah, which also comes here. And then later on, you find the concept of Ta'but al-Ahad, which we call the Ark of Covenant. Inside the Ark of Covenant is the Torah, which is placed in this location. Then comes Dawud alayhi salam. They say, Dawud alayhi salam, he purchased the land where Masjid al-Aqsa is from a yabus. A Jebusite person. Um, I mean, we already know that Masjid Al-Aqsa according to Muslims already existed way before Dawud Alayhis salam. According to their Talmudic narrations, they say Da'ud alayhi salam came, he purchased from a Yabusi. And by the way, they don't consider Dawud and Suleiman to be prophets. They don't consider Dawud and Suleiman to be prophets. They consider them to be kings. Also, they don't consider prophets to be ma'asum like we do. I'm just talking about some of the differences. They say that Dawud salam committed murder, Dawud salam committed zina, Suleyman a.s. would worship idols, Suleyman salam died as a kafir, this is what they believe. And then they say that we are the followers of them, right? We have more of a right to Dawud and Suleyman salam than they do. So they then say that also according to them a difference is anybody can get wahi. You don't have to be a nabi to get wahi. So Dawud and Sulaiman are not prophets, but they believe that they received wahi. Even though they committed sins, according to them, they were receiving wahi from Allah. Now came Sulaiman alayhi salam. This is Sulaiman alayhi salam was then because the the Kalimatul Ahad and the Qawl of the Ahad and the Kitab of the Ahad have all combined now. Now Sulaiman alayhi salam was told to make the Baytul Rab, which is called the Ma'bad. The house of Allah. House of Allah on this particular place. And this is where, according to them, remember I told you they believe in tajseem, meaning giving Allah defined spaces and a body space. They believe that this is where Allah will reside. So if you go there as well, you will find that this is where uh, something like man meets God. Meaning this is the div- You feel a divine presence. Like Allah is here. Muslims, we don't do that. We don't have... Uh, Takif and tajseem of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, so this is their belief of the fulfillment of the Ahad given to Ibrahim Salam. They say that Allah will stay in his house because he will be connected to his kitab and he'll be connected to his Ahad. He'll be close. You know, you, you like to stay close to your familiar things. So this is the, here we will build him a house so he can stay close to his book and he can stay close to his covenant which was given to Ibrahim alayhis salam and Musa alayhis This is called Tabutul Ahad, the Ark of Covenant. Now, they say when Allah became angry with the Yahud because of their disobedience, Allah allowed the Ma'bad, the house of Allah, which they had built according to them, to become destroyed by the Babylonians. And they were taken as prisoners. And the Torah was destroyed. The Torah was destroyed. This is what they believe. The Bani Israel were taken as captives and they were living in Iraq. In Iraq, they started rewriting the Torah. The Torah you have today is from Babylon. It's not from Allah. The Torah you have today, because the Torah was gone, finished. So whilst these rabbis were in captivity, they rewrote the whole of the Torah. I don't know where from, because they didn't have a they didn't have a uh, process of memorizing like we do of the Qur'an. This is one of the reasons why many of them considered Uzair salam, to be the son of God, because he had miraculously memorized the Torah, and it wasn't a common practice. MashaAllah, we have young, young children, you know, 9 years old, 7 years old, 6 years old, 11, 12, 13 is very common, and then older than that, who memorized the whole Qur'an. But memorizing the Torah wasn't part of their, it wasn't something that was done. And this is why people considered Uzair Salam to be the son of God. Because they only he can be a son of God because he has memorized the Torah. So the Torah you have now is from Iraq. Because they were. And then they came back through uh, Kisra. Uh, he brought them back. And Chorus, uh, he brings them back to Jerusalem. And then again, they believed that they disobeyed. So Allah allowed for it to be destroyed once again, the city of Jerusalem and the Baytur-Rab as well, the house of God that was there and uh, Titus came and he destroyed it totally and now they are waiting for the third alleged temple to be built. This is their narrative, not our story. Our story is from the time of Adam it has been a masjid. Today it remains as a masjid and until Qiyamah it remains a masjid. Now all of this information, where do we get it from? The Torah doesn't speak about this. This is all from the Mishnah and the Gamara. Mishnah and Gemara together, we call it Talmud. So Torah is Torah. And then the commentary of the Torah is the Talmud. And the Talmud is basically the fatwas of the rabbis. And they believe that rabbis get ilham and wahi as well. So now... Previously, for example, Sabbath, Saturday is a holy day. Originally, maybe they only had five laws regarding the Sabbath. Do this, don't do this. Do this, don't do this. Do this, don't do this. this. Now they probably have more than a thousand. Because rabbis are continuously getting this wahi, and they're adding things more and more, more and more, more and more. So now the Talmud is almost considered more holy than the Torah it's no longer a divine religion this is man made innovations ittakhadu ahbarahum wa rahbanahum min dunillah quran says they made their rabbis and their scholars gods instead of following what allah revealed actually revealed that has been we know it's been changed but even now the changed version is not being followed rather the talmud is given much more emphasis so this is in regards to the belief of what is happening now, the sacredness we have of Al Masjidul Aqsa is not because of Rasulullah sallallahu wasallam. We don't link it to any individual personality. Many Muslims have this misunderstanding. They think that the only connection the Prophet sallallahu had with Al Masjidul Aqsa is Isra and Miraj. Because of Isra and Miraj, Masjidul Aqsa becomes holy. No. Masjid al-Aqsa was very 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 holy way before the prophet sallallahu way before Sulaiman alaihi salam from the time of Adam alaihi salam Allah declared it as a second masjid on planet earth and its holiness has been there from that time one of the most holiest places on planet earth from the time of Adam alaihi salam it's there and another issue which comes up a lot is in regards to the excavations that happen beneath Masjid Al-Aqsa. But the people get, I'm I'm, I'm talking about this because people get a bit excited on this topic, they want to know about the tunnels underneath Masjid Al-Aqsa and the excavation and the digging that happens. And I'll tell you that the tunnels and the excavations are not the greatest danger regarding Masjid Al-Aqsa. That's not the greatest danger. The greatest danger regarding Masjid al Aqsa is the occupation. The illegal occupation. And when did that happen? It's not going to happen. It happened in 1967. And it's a continuous occupation. Everything we're speaking about now, every situation about Palestine, the cause of it all is the illegal Israeli occupation. And we know from the top Israeli archaeologist, Israel Finkelstein, the father of biblical studies. He says, after years and years of excavations, to date, none of the excavations have revealed anything that shows any remnants of a temple being there. Do you know why? Because there wasn't one. Simple. There wasn't one. It was Masjid al-Aqsa. It's Masjid al-Aqsa now. It will always remain as Masjid al-Aqsa. Now, in conclusion... We're going to speak about Masjid Al-Aqsa today. You might be thinking, wasn't that the topic anyway? right? So you can look at that as an introduction. We're coming to the conclusion. Along with the war that they're carrying out in Gaza, there is an ideological and an existential war being carried out in Jerusalem right now. And This is something we cannot take our eye off. What's happening in Gaza, we know, it's horrific. What's the count at the moment? 20, what is it? 23,000? 25,000? We know that whatever number is mentioned, it's going to be way beyond that. We know that. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant uh, the status of shahada to those who have left the world. May Allah grant afiyah and shifa to those who are wounded. May Allah grant safety and protection to all of the people. May Allah protect them. May Allah save them. May Allah take good care of them. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put an end to the mercilessness and the zulm that is taking place and give them aman and safety and liberation and freedom. Whilst this is happening in Gaza on one end, there is an existential and ideological war being carried out in Jerusalem and in Masjid al Aqsa. From the beginning, from the first day, At Masjid Al-Aqsa, they declared that we are in a state of war. In Jerusalem, they made an announcement from the first day that we are in a state of war. It's happening there, but here they declared we are in a state of war. Now, to prove their victory, as the crux, the cornerstone, the core of the whole battle is Masjid Al-Aqsa. To prove their victory, they have to show that they have power there they will accept a loss in Gaza. And they will be fine with that. But they will not accept a loss over here. Why? Because they know, even they know, that the crux, the cornerstone of this whole issue is what? Is Masjid Al-Aqsa. Is Masjid Al-Aqsa is at the cornerstone of it. The most important part of all of this is Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. This is why, this is why, they will accept a defeat there. On many fronts if it comes to it but here they won't thus masjid al aqsa from the 7th of october has remained closed to muslims only settlers can go in of all ages other than that any local people yeah maybe i've heard they're allowing foreigners to go in people are going from indonesia some people have gone from south africa some people have gone from uk they've not had any issues but in regards to local Palestinian people, only if you're 70 plus. They were allowing people 70 plus. I've seen videos of old ladies and old men who are definitely over 70. They came to the gates of Masjid Al-Aqsa, they were pushed onto the floor. You can't go in. So it's all on the mood of the soldier and the police standing there at the time. Also we're seeing Talmudic soldiers, now, we are seeing in large numbers, they are going to fight in Gaza, and then in their military uniform, they are coming and praying inside Masjid Al-Aqsa, and taking selfies, taking pictures. In the military soldier uniform, you will find this, and that that is something that never used to happen. This is trying to send a symbolic message, that this place is ours. We've done it, we've conquered it. You can do what you want over there, We have control over here. Look at Jummah. On an average week in Jummah, you have 50,000 people minimum praying inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. Sometimes more. Minimum 50,000. 60,000, 70,000. In Ramadan, of course, the number goes all the way up to 250,000. And then in Laylatul Qadr goes up to 450,000 as well. Over the last so many weeks three months how many people have been praying inside Masjid al aqsa on average no more than 5,000 from where is 50,000 where is 5,000 one of the weeks was only 3,000 last week there was a bit more I think 12,000 or something like that but average it was about 5,000 it has been throughout the weeks and because Ben Gavir is now part of the he's the head of the police the defense minister, he has cut off all of the Jerusalem neighborhoods from one another. So there is no connection. He's cut off the old city as well. So much so that if you're not from the old city of Jerusalem, you can't go into Masjid al aqsa So if you come from one of the na- Jerusalem neighborhoods and you're coming into Masjid al aqsa the people who have an ID, there's two parts to the ID. The top part of the ID has all of your information. Your picture and all of your information. The bottom part actually says which neighborhood and area you're from. So all, they'll, they'll look at it and say, "Oh, you're from Jabal Mukabir, or you're from Isawiyah, or you're from, uh, you know, Rasul Amud." They will look at it, and they will say, "What are you doing here? You can't come in here. This is just for the people in the old city trying to make Masjid al-Aqsa into a local masjid. Like, why are you coming to pray here? You've got your own masjid there. Pray over there." This is, this is today, this is what's happening right now. Whilst What's happening in Gaza, even the people who are living in Jerusalem, because inside the old city, there's 30,000 Muslims, inside the old city. But outside the old city, which is not far, well, minutes away, there are many people living, many Muslims living, but they are not being allowed to enter into the old city and access Masjid Al-Aqsa. There are daily attacks on the guards of Al-Aqsa. Daily attacks on the Awqaf members. These are employees of the Awqaf, people who are working, they've got different kind of roles and jobs inside Masjid Al-Aqsa, whether it be maintenance, whether it be cleaning, whether it be the Imams. We have one of the Imams, uh, grand mufti as well of Masjid Al-Aqsa, how they uh, sent a letter that they're going to demolish his home. And they banned him from traveling, ban him from any kind of movement. They have banned people. You know, Jerusalemites, we find that uh, regarding the guards, the guards have been told, if you're working inside Masjid al-Aqsa, you're not allowed to go 50 meters. You need to have 50 meters between you and any settlers that come in. Imagine that. In your own masjid, you're carrying out your job, your duty is to guard the masjid. But when the settlers coming, they say, stay 50 meters apart, you can't go. And they are praying freely, they are dancing inside Masjid al-Aqsa. And, you know, as now what's happening is they are dancing and they are taking pictures and sharing them. Just like they did with the Gazan civilians. Didn't you see a couple of weeks ago where they took many civilian men in Gaza, stripped them from their clothing, and they sent out the pictures everywhere to humiliate them. This was to humiliate them. Similarly, what's happening in Masjid Al-Aqsa where the settlers are doing things and they are now, before they would hide these things, now they are making it viral, why? As to make it symbolic that look, we are the ones that are here. And to try and humiliate the Muslims. And the thing with Jerusalem, people don't understand this, when the attacks happened uh, on the 7th of October and we had the Israeli occupation uh, carry out their genocide, One of the first talks that we had was in regards to jerusalem if you remember it those of you who are here jerusalem the people of jerusalem it's very complex for them because whilst living in jerusalem they are considered second-class citizens that's why it's very difficult for them the people in the west bank they're considered palestinians and ghazza as well so they You're Palestinian, right? You know, everybody wants to have some kind of identity, right? We're going through a time of identity crisis where people don't know who they are, right? Put all that to the side about feelings and stuff. Like, you want to know who you are in terms of which country you're from at least. The people of Jerusalem, it's very complex and confusing. Why? So they're living in so-called Israel, right? But are they considered Israeli? No. So what are they then? They can't be considered Palestinian. Why? Why? because they don't live in the West Bank or Gaza. So they're not Israeli and they can't be considered Palestinian. So what are they? Stateless. Would well, you know what, what passport they're given? They're given a Jordanian passport. But are they Jordanian? No. Can you see how hard it is for people of Jerusalem? What's happening in Gaza is, is bad. It's, it's horrible. I'm not trying to compare in any way, shape or form. But you cannot undermine the sacrifices the people of Jerusalem are going through right now. They don't even have an identity. They, they're living in what they call Israel, right? So they can't be an Israeli because they're not. They have an Israeli ID, but they're not Israeli. They're not Palestinian because they don't live in Palestine. And they hold a Jordanian passport, but they're not Jordanian. This is the difficulty that the people of Jerusalem have to go through. And for the people that are living there, the Israelis, they look at Jerusalemites as a thorn in the path, like a big headache. Like, what are these guys doing here? And this is why they want to try and wipe away and displace as many Jerusalemites as possible. And we already spoke about all the displacement policies in the first discussion that we had since these events happening. And that's why, since this has happened, you find at 2 a.m. in the morning, you've got different organizations. Like we have over here, you've got different organizations. You've got organizations that are debt collectors, for example, council, for example, taxes for You've got inland revenue. You've got different. So they have their own. 2 a.m. in the morning, they are raiding into people's houses when they are sleeping in the Jerusalem neighborhood. Waking them up and saying, oh, you owe us this money. Or you need to pay this bill. Or they're going into the houses or the shops and stealing money. Just a few days ago, there was a currency exchange where they just came and they stole all of the money. Oh, the only way you've managed to get this much money is you must be dealing with Hamas. That's the only These are kind of allegations that are accusations that are being thrown onto them that they're stealing their cars, they're stealing their equipment, they're stealing their money. And because the whole world is focused on one side, it's being done and nobody really knows what's happening. And remember, this is not just now. Since 1967, the people of Jerusalem have been going through these things every single day. Home demolitions, house evictions, imprisonment, you name it. And administrative detention. There is nowhere in the world where you have administrative detention, like there is in Israel. Administrative detention, they will arrest somebody put them in jail for 6 months no charge no trial and you cannot access a lawyer you have no right show me one place in the world that does this and this is being done how many people every day every day you will not be able to count this happens every day even before all this happened every day there were before this happened there were already 5000 people in israeli jails most of them administrative detention. No charge, no trial. Why, how, did this person do it? No, 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 nothing. They don't have anything. And you have no right to access any kind of legal support as well. Um, similarly with the guards of Masjid Al-Aqsa. Imagine Israeli soldiers going to Isra- uh, Masjid Al-Aqsa, guards and saying, there's no work for you today, get out, go home, there's no work for you to do here today. This is how they're being dealt with. And then targeting specific homes of Imams, of Ulama, of Duaat, of those people who are doing any kind of good work within Muslim camp, targeting them, ensuring that there is no one remaining in Jerusalem who would be a a person that would motivate people to go to Masjid Al-Aqsa, to go and frequent it. So, in conclusion, what is happening in Gaza is due to Jerusalem and Masjid Al-Aqsa. And I know people sometimes they mention the hadith where the Prophet you know, he looked at the Kaaba and he said, Oh Kaaba, how beautiful you are, how beloved you are. But the heart of one Muslim is more sacred. And sometimes people throw this thing around. Why why are you you going on about Masjid Al-Aqsa? This is stones. This is what people say. What about the lives? You know, people are losing their lives, innocent children, mothers, fathers. We recognize that we recognize that but why don't you ask them why they're losing their lives ask them speak to them hear them we have social media alhamdulillah uh, we Moran about sabin one of his majlis normally he's always speaking against social media recently he was praising social media he's saying through the blessing of social media we thank social media for providing us this coverage and we, you can hear clearly that they are saying that we are doing this, why? For the sake of Masjid al-Aqsa. Fida'an lil-Aqsa. We are giving our life for the sake of Masjid al-Aqsa. So if they are saying that, why are we changing the narrative? Why are we putting words in their mouths? They are saying that we are going through this. They recognize. And this is what's happened throughout the years. Whenever there has been provocations inside Masjid al-Aqsa, it's the people of Haza that have responded. The rest of the world have been silent. As a result of which they had this bombardment, and then things calm down, and then once again provocations happen, happen, happen. When it comes to a stage where it just, it's going to spill out, then once again the people from there respond, and this is this has been happening. So, in conclusion, now for you and me, what to do? First of all, we'll say thank you to everybody, Jazakallahu khairan, for everything you've done attending the talks for going to the protest for raising your voices for raising the palestinian flag for wearing the kufiya if you're wearing one and for um, donating and sending aid to gaza whatever you have done Jazakallahu khair. but you've not done your bit don't think that by attending one march or a protest or by one talk you've done your bit no this is just the beginning more beginning of the beginning of the beginning there's still a lot more we need much, much more. The second thing is, we have to understand our power and influence. You have a lot of power. You have a lot of influence. There's a lot that you can do. And what you're doing is having an impact. Don't underestimate yourself. Don't let anyone tell you. And this is what the, the, the forces of Batil have this. They're very good at this, of making people feel despondent. This is Iblis. That's his job, isn't it? To make you feel that you can't do anything. Don't say things like, Bas dua hi kar sakte aur kar sakte This is an Iblisi statement. Trying to make you lose hope and not take any action. There are so many things you can do remaining within the framework of the Sharia, remaining within the framework of the law. We are living in the UK, so you're bound by the UK law. And we are Muslims, so we are bound by the Sharia. Staying within the framework of the Sharia, staying within the framework of the law. Now, everyone's work isn't the same. Just because brother Ashraf is doing something, it doesn't mean that you know another brother has to do exactly the same thing. Your role is different, your role is different. Do what you can with your capacity and your capabilities. And this is a long struggle. It's not going to end. Like, Don't think that, okay, we'll go for one march or one protest or... We're going to talk about it one week, two weeks, and it's going to end. This has been going on for more than 70, we say 75 years was the Israeli occupation. What about before that British occupation? This is a long struggle, and it's going to carry on long. It's not going to stop. And even if, say it stops and calms down, the occupation isn't over. Maybe the war might be over. It's sad that in some masjids, what happened was, when they had that temporary pause, I won't call it a ceasefire, because it wasn't. Um, they stopped doing as if things are finished. It's not finished. It's not finished. It hadn't, it's hadn't. it been happening since 1948. The massacre happened, first one in 1948. Every single day since then, there is massacre upon massacre. And so, tell yourself from now that this is a long journey. You know, if you were telling yourself only oh, you know, like, you know, one, one more week, two more weeks, three more weeks, tell yourself, no, no, no this is this is we're in, we're in this we're in this long term this is going to be our daily struggle our daily grind we live with this we live for this just like in the quran you found that zakaria alayhi salam he lived with this maryam alayhi salam her whole existence was for this as soon as her mother found out what did she what did she say oh allah i want to dedicate this child for the cause of masjid al aqsa al maqdis why was she surprised when it was a girl and not a boy. She didn't want somebody to just sit in the corner of the masjid and pray. She wanted somebody who's going to defend and liberate it in the case of occupation. That's what the fear was. Same fear Zakaria salam. Why is Zakaria such an old man making a dua for a child? It's embarrassing if you heard an old man, some chacha in the masjid. Imagine a chacha was to come to me, for example, okay, and say, uh, make dua, Allah gives me a child. Uh, I'm going to think, cha like... Are you feeling all right? You're like 80, 90, 100 years old and you're asking for a... Zakariya alayhi salam. The Quran tells us that the reason why these people lived and they reproduced with this intention for the protection of the deen of Allah, the sanctified places of Allah, they could see that Masjidul Aqsa, Baytul Maqdis was under threat. He asked for Yahya, why? Because he knew that his family members, he could see there was corruption spreading amongst the people. If he passes away, he didn't see anyone else who would take on the role that in case Masjidul Aqsa, Baitul Maqdis becomes occupied, the wrong people come and take over. Who's going to fight them? Who's going to liberate it? It's not just about praying. Anybody can come and pray. Allah has got many angels to pray. That's not the only role we have. We have to stand and defend and this is what Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says that, Safeguard the deen of Allah and Allah will safeguard you. So this is also. And when we work for this cause, don't expect anyone to thank you or say mashallah to you. Don't. It's hard. Because we just naturally as human beings we like, we do something and we want something in return. Nobody, nobody is going to come to you and say to you, MashaAllah, you went for a march. You went to the protest. MashaAllah, you learnt about Masjid. No, no, no. Do you know why? Because this is your duty. It's your obligation. You don't get thanked upon doing your obligation. Something that's fard upon you. No one's going to come to you and say, MashaAllah, Jazakallah. No one's going to thank you for it. This is your duty and your obligation. So don't, sometimes we can become a bit discouraged. You know, we're doing something, doing something. Nobody's really recognizing my efforts. Nobody's really noticing anything. Somebody notices, doesn't notice. Allah notices. Allah notices. And There are so many stories we've already been discussing. I'm not going to go into them now. How people made efforts. They didn't know what was going to happen. And Allah made it shine. And Allah will. So don't expect and wait for like a thank you or a shabash from somebody. Because this is not something you're doing. This is not optional. And we were saying this even before these events happened. Working for the cause of Masjid Al-Aqsa for a Muslim is not a nafal optional act. It's not optional. This is a duty. It's an obligation. Also, the issue is not limited to Gaza now. This is now an Islamic issue. This is a fight between haq and batil. Islam and kufr. This is an Islamic issue that affects every single Muslim throughout the world. Now, if we don't know, why is Jerusalem significant for Muslims? Why is Masjid Al-Aqsa important to the Muslims? What is the place of Gaza in Islam? We won't feel the need to do anything. The core reason why we don't really know what to do next or how to do it, is because we haven't understood the issue. And this is why I have spent the time today to go through understanding how serious this issue is. And in the beginning, I spent a few moments for those of you who are listening for the first time to understand what position Masjid Al-Aqsa has in Islam. I only mentioned a couple of things. There's still much more. Until we don't have this, until you don't have an in-depth understanding, then you're not going to do anything for it, are you? It doesn't mean anything to you only those it, what's going to drive you is your passion for something you're only going to be passionate about something you love you're only going to love something that you know about and you're only going to know about it if you learn about it how much time have we spent learning about it so this is why it's MPEF. the first obligation upon each and every one of us is to learn is to study alhamdulillah we have uh, every sunday morning we have the great fajr campaign And one lesson is shared in regards to Masjid al-Aqsa. We've been going in chronological order. If anybody doesn't know anything about Masjid al-Aqsa, we're going step by step, one lesson a week. It's been going on for more than two and a half years, alhamdulillah. Uh, But more recently, we started a discussion on learning about what Masjid al-Aqsa is. What do you know about Masjid al-Aqsa? We're on lesson 28. It's available on YouTube. The playlists are there. Each lesson is about 12-11 minutes, so it's not too long. And you could follow and catch up and then make an intention to join us, inshallah. Fajr Salah is at 6.45. Um, brothers, sisters, children are all welcome. And then breakfast is served to everybody after Ishraq as well. Uh, so this is something that uh, we need to think about, that we have to learn, we have to study for the uh, importance of it. I remember I was in Bangladesh. We went As part of our four months, one of the tashkils was to Bangladesh. We were a group of ulama. So they made our tashkil, we attended Tongi Ijtima as well, and they made our tashkil only to Darul Ulooms in Dhaka. So we were going to these Darul Ulums. Alhamdulillah it was a very good experience, we got to meet a lot of ulama, a lot of students. Whilst we were in the Tongi Ijtima, this is before when the Tongi Ijtima used to happen, just one. At the moment it's happening split, isn't it? Uh, because of the number of people. But at that time there was only one. And um, I remember they had a discussion Uh, amongst the foreigners, the different scholars would speak and give bayan in the foreigners. So in one of the foreigner tents, they were giving a talk to the Indonesians and Malaysians. Indonesians and Malaysians. And this was going to be translated into English. But uh, Alhamdulillah, I understand Urdu anyway, so it wasn't a problem. The speaker was Hazrat Mawlana Ibrahim Devalasah. down Barakatuh. So I already enjoy his talks anyway. So when I heard, I went, I thought, let me go and sit and listen and benefit from his talk. A number of things, alhamdulillah, I learned from him at that time. One of the things he mentioned, I always remember. One of the things he mentioned, he said, if there is a child, if there is a child, and he goes in the house, and he finds his dad's car keys, and he picks it up. Does the kid know what these car keys are? Young child, toddler. Does he know them? Does he understand what it is? So without understanding, he picks the keys up, and then he goes somewhere else, and then he drops them without understanding. Do you get what I'm saying? He picks them up without understanding. He was saying that many people come into the deen, they get active in certain things. Now we can relate it to the cause of Palestine. They do it for a bit, and after a bit, they're gone. You think This guy was so active. Okay, whether it be in the field of Madrasa, whether it be in Jama'at work, whether it be in the Palestinian activism, it doesn't matter, all of them are same. So, this example he gave that without understanding, you, this shows that when you got into it, he's saying that when you got into it for the first time, you didn't really know why you were doing it. Only that person will leave a good work who hasn't understood in the first place why you were doing it. Had you understood why you were doing it, you wouldn't leave it. Do we understand? Are we following? So, this is why we must, we must gain a thorough understanding. Once you get that understanding, nobody will have to tell you, oh, do this, do it like this. You will have inside yourself, it will give you ideas of what to do and how to do it. So this is the first responsibility that we have. And So the, what, what is that responsibility? In conclusion, what I'm saying is, connect yourself to Masjidul aqsa this is, this is what I'm saying in simple words. If, was to, if I was to give a synopsis of today, My synopsis is, connect yourself to Masjid al-Aqsa. Connect yourself. Connect yourself so strongly, that if one tree falls in Masjid al-Aqsa, it gives you pain. There's 1,200 trees inside Masjid al-Aqsa. And settlers, they come in and they steal the trees, they steal the branches, they steal the stones. It's happening? It doesn't affect us. One tree falls, it should affect you. This is, connect yourself to Masjid al-Aqsa, is the first step. And remember, Palestine, Al-Quds, Al-Aqsa is not a trend. We have to be very careful. At the moment, it's quite trendy to talk about Palestine. It's quite trendy to post. Many people are posting, MashaAllah. Remember, keep our intentions always correct. Palestine, Masjid Al-Aqsa is not, don't make it into a trend. Because at the moment, everyone's doing, it looks good, doesn't it? If I don't post something about Palestine, it look bad. How, how come you're not posting anything? How come you're not saying anything? So always, before we do anything, posting, attending a march, wearing something, saying something, always we check our intention again and again. Why am I doing it? And again, we come back to if we understand the cause, we understand the significance of Masjid al-Aqsa, how important it is, then inshallah, it will help with our intention, it will help with the methodology, And it will also help, we won't have to ask, what shall I do, what shall I do, what shall I do, because you'll be guided yourself. Allah will guide you already. Now, the last and most final thing I'm going to say, I know I've said this a few times, is... Now this is, just, this is just a bit of a, this is an analysis, this is not, no one really knows. This is like a, a maybe, possibility, we don't know. Nobody knows how this is going to end. In the past, when there's been things going on, people had an idea. The Palestinians had an idea, and the Israeli occupation had a very clear goal of what they want to achieve. On this occasion, no one really knows how it's going to end. This is why it's very, very different. We know one thing, that despite what happens in Gaza, they want to maintain control and power in Jerusalem. And they understand very well from the previous years that Palestinians will react to any provocations that happen inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. Many people say that, Amongst the Israelis, we're finding uh, Israeli media, Israeli reporters, Israeli journalists, previous people who work for the Israeli government in the Mossad, etc. They're already saying things like, Israel already faced the defeat on the first day. And whatever's happening now is just a barrage of genocide. They're already saying that. Their people. I'm not saying it. They're saying it so they will want to try and establish some kind of victory where where jerusalem masjid this is this is because this is the cause of it they believe they know they know this is the cause of it. why is it yesterday why is it yesterday in Gaza? an israeli soldier upon that there was a masjid one of the oldest masjid in Gaza, which is destroyed on the minaret why did he do graffiti and say that the temple mount is going to be ours? Why did he write that? Why is it that the Israeli soldiers that are going in fighting in Gaza on their helmets, they have a picture uh, engraved of there, on there of the uh, alleged temple? And why is it that we're finding that whilst they are there, they are celebrating and saying that the temple is going to be ours. Meaning we're going to build our temple just like we've destroyed this masjid in Gaza. We're going to destroy Masjid Al-Aqsa and build our temple there. So they want to establish some kind of uh, victory there. So there's two scenarios. There's 100 scenarios. I mean, anything could happen. But two scenarios. Worst, best, worst case scenario and the best case scenario. I'll present to you both and then anything in between is possible the worst case scenario may Allah forbid may Allah forbid may Allah forbid But from what we've seen Over the period of time and I'm saying this to raise our concern so that you raise your dua and fikr. The worst case scenario if the situation becomes worse in Gaza, if it just gets worse and worse and worse if it becomes worse then they will want to start. And already you heard a few days ago, Netanyahu saying this openly. In the beginning, he was saying, we don't want the Gazans to go from Gaza. You just heard him two days ago saying, we want the Gazans out. So the worst thing that could happen is the transfer corridor takes place where the people of Gaza are taken out of Gaza. There were already discussions in the previous years of doing that in the West Bank. Which means the next would be a transfer corridor from the West Bank for push them all into Jordan. Where do you come next? Jerusalem. Which would mean that this is a plan to transfer on a mass level Gazans out of Gaza, West Bank, Palestinians out of the West Bank, and then eventually the people of Jerusalem out of the Jerusalem. And then what happens? Well, there's no Muslims here. Why would you need a Masjid al-Aqsa? There's no Muslims. So this is the worst-case scenario. Inshallah, this will not happen. May Allah protect. But this is to raise our concern. The best-case scenario is this: that the Israeli occupation, if they open their eyes, open their minds, and think that there's six million of us here, and the problem is only two to three thousand, if we sort this two-three thousand out, right? Everybody lives in peace. Palestinians live in peace. Israelis live in peace. The Israelis don't want this. Most of the Israelis don't want this. They know that these people are the troublemakers—two to three thousand fanatics that are causing these incursions. When you see the incursions, the whole of Jerusalem and whole of Israel isn't running in there, are they? It's this one, these groups, these fanatic groups. So the best-case scenario would be is they kind of think, hang on a second, it's not worth this, all this killing, all this massacre let alone the Palestinians, it's affecting our own people, it's affecting our economy, it's affecting our infrastructure, it's affecting our image. Why don't we look at the root of the problem, sort these few people out, and just stop them from going in there and carrying out these incursions, and the problems come to an end. Yeah, the occupation is there. I, I, when I say best case scenario, I'm not saying best case scenario, meaning that's what we want. Meaning, in the current climate, this would what, is what we would call for the time being, what would happen is, things would return back to the status quo where Muslims are free to worship and Palestinians will be okay, Israelis will be okay, and there would be no issue. Um, Otherwise, this is an ongoing thing that will keep going on. My message has been very, very clear, and that is connect yourself to Masjid Al-Aqsa and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will open the way. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq wa akhiru da'wana. ان الحمد لله رب العالمين. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى سيدنا محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وعلى ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد كما باركت ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد يا حي يا قيوم يا حي يا قيوم يا حي يا قيوم برحمتك اصلح لنا شأننا كله ولا تكلنا الى انفسنا طرفة عين الله سيدنا محمد الله عليه رضينا بالله رب وبالإسلام دينا وبمحمد صلى الله عليه وسلم رسول ونبيا اللهم اهدنا فيمن هديت وعافنا فيمن عافيت وتولنا فيمن توليت وبارك لنا فيما أعطيت وقنا وصرف عنا شر ما قضيت فإنك تقضي بالحق ولا يقضى عليك إنه لا يذل مواليد ولا يعز من عاديت تبارك ربنا Nesta نستغفرك اللهم ونتوب إليك وصلى الله على النبي الكريم اللهم مغفر للمؤمنين والمؤمنات والمسلمين والمسلمات وألف بين قلوبهم وأصلح ذات بينهم وانصرهم على عدوك وعدوهم اللهم انصرنا ولا تنصر علينا ولا تسلط علينا بذنوبنا من لا يخافك فينا ولا يرحمنا اللهم واقيةً Allahumma insur ikhwanan al mustadhafina al mazlumina fi ghaza Allahumma insur hum nasran aziza wa atihim fathan Kariba, Allahumma ayyiduhum bitayyidik Allahumma ayyiduhum bijibriil Allahumma kullahum awlaun wa nasira wa sanadan wa zahira Allahumma alayka bi-a'daihim fa innahum la yujizunak Allahumma inna najaluka fi nuhurihim wa na'udhu bika min shururihim Allahumma arina fihim ajaiba qudratika yajib Ya Kawiyu, Ya Aziz, Ya Munzil, Ya Munzil, Ya Al Quran, Wa Mudriya Sahab, Hazim Al Ahzab. اهزمهم وانصرنا عليهم يا رب العالمين لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إني كنت من الظالمين اللهم حرر المسجد الأقصى من كيد الغاصبين اللهم آعد المسجد الأقصى إلى رحاب المسلمين واستعمنا في تحريره يا رب العالمين ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وقنا عذاب النار سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب